it is very common today in our culture to have conversations about people that disagree and it's less common to have a good productive conversation with them. And so that is the goal of today's conversation. My guest today, uh, a roaming uh, Goliath, has joined me. He is an atheist. He grew up in a Christian family. He deconverted away from the church, has walked away from Christianity, and now is identifying as an atheist. We'll talk about his beliefs, uh, but reached out to actually a friend of his, a mutual friend of both of ours, and said, hey, um, I would like to kind of have these conversations. I want to step in and offer some some thoughts in this kind of world of apologetics and this dialogue between atheists and Christians. Um, And also, hey, I don't want to miss anything. I want to kind of bounce my ideas off people and get that good critique. And I think I love that idea. And I love that when I heard that about you and saying, that's what I love too. That's one thing I love about YouTube is I put my ideas out there and I get that pushback and it causes us to kind of consider what other people are going to say. And so today's conversation is to talk through kind of his reason for kind of walking away from the church, uh, understanding why someone would deconvert and leave, and then as well as kind of bouncing ideas and questions off of each other when it comes to God, faith, Christianity, and the world around us and how we understand it. So if you have questions and you're listening, you can post those questions in the live stream as well in that chat uh, that you have either for me or him when it comes to faith, God, and Christianity. So with that, a Roman Goliath, thanks for joining me today for this conversation. Ryan, uh, thanks for having me on. I am very happy to be here. I I don't see enough atheist Christian uh, dialogue going on here. Like I said, I think we talk a lot about each other, but not really to each other. Um, But yeah, hi, everyone. I am a roaming Goliath. Um, I picked that uh, moniker uh, because I still have some very Christian family who, you know, out of respect for them, I'm not I'm not using my real name. Yeah. by the way, this uh, green screen, anyone who has ever set up a green screen knows the the trouble that it goes to. So rather than battling with all that, um, decided to just go with the plain green. Behind this is a very messy <laughs> office, I assure you. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's uh, great to be here and uh, great to be talking with you. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think you're right in that we often, there's like video response and I create a video to your response and there's a video responding to your video and it's always just back and forth. And often it's like, man, if you just sat down, I think if we sat down face to face, I think it changes the conversation, how we speak to one another. And my wife always says that is like, they you, they would never say that to your face or this person would never say that to their face. Um, and it's easy to talk, I think, worse about people when it's not to their face, uh, when it's over the internet, as well as, uh, as you mentioned, they're kind of trying to offer some thoughts and bounce our ideas off of each other. And so again, that is uh, the goal for today's conversation. That is also the goal for my channel. My name is Ryan Pauly. If you're joining it for the first time, my name is Ryan. This is Think Well, uh, hopefully trying to train you to think well and engage the culture well. And so obviously thinking about these different ideas. So Romy Goliath, as we kind of jump in to to this conversation, again, I think uh, one of the reasons I wanted to talk with you is to hear more about your story of how you kind of grew up, what you grew up believing, kind of what that culture was like, and then kind of what the initial process was of kind of leading you away from uh, Christianity and kind of to where you are today. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, just a kind of a quick rundown. I'll spare you too many, uh, too much detail. But yeah, I grew up in a Christian home. I did make professions of faith as a kid. Um, I really started to take it seriously in my kind of early teen years. Um, I was about 14, 15. I got baptized at 16. Um, and I was all in, man. I wanted to go into ministry. I was the weirdo kid in high school walking around. Everyone else was, you know, on their iPod listening to what was popular, Lady Gaga, I guess. (laughs) I'm I'm what's called an elder millennial. So for all of you Gen Z out there, Lady Gaga, she she was young once too. Um, 
but no, I, I wanted to go into ministry. I was, uh, you know, listening to the likes of Paul Washer, you know, John MacArthur, Piper, Sprawl, Robbie Zacharias before the whole sex monster thing. Yeah. Um, and uh, Ray Comfort uh, even uh, has me quoted in uh, one of his books. Uh, I think it was like 18 or 19. Um, but yeah, it's called uh, You Can Lead an Atheist to Evidence, But You Can't Make Him Think. Catchy title there, Ray. Mm. Um so yeah, I, I was very much all in. I was uh, into purity culture as well. I was married as a virgin at the age of 25. Um, and I, you know, I studied the Bible very in depth. Um, I continue to study the Bible. I actually recently signed up for a course on the book of Mark by uh, Mark Tabor. Um, by the way, just a quick shout out to um, Derek over at MythVision. Um, that channel, uh, whether you are a believer or a skeptic, uh, that is an amazing place to go find some biblical scholarship. Um, so, yeah, just kind of shifting gears into, uh, you know, my deconversion. Um, just a quick disclaimer here. So. Often something that happens with atheists, and I would caution your audience here, I'm guessing it's a mostly Christian audience, um, not to like listen to what the atheist is telling you. Don't assume that you know why someone left the church. Yeah. Um, uh, whatever you do, don't don't break out Romans one twenty and say no. You still believe in God. You, you're just pretending not to. That's 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 a quick conversation ender when you tell me what's in my head. Um, but. Um, yeah, I, I'll, I'll phrase it. I'm, I'm not a Christian because I learned more about Christianity in the Bible. I, I sometimes say I studied the Bible so hard I kind of broke it. Um, and what I learned uh, in my travels and my studies really is, is it just is kind of another uh, mythology. And I know that that you know, hits hard to a lot of believers who hear that and immediately recoil. Um, but it's, it's core claims, the culture that surrounded it. Um, all of that, I, I just found it doesn't hold up to scrutiny and it doesn't align with with the facts. Um, but and so to, to go back to my story here, um, it was really around 2020, COVID hit, and I saw the Christian response. And I was a firm Bible believer and I saw the Christian response to COVID. And um, I was like, here is the church's moment to shine. Um, you know, I, I bet our church is going to get on, you know, meal trains to uh, doctors and maybe hospitals and stuff like that. And really, this is the people of God who can come out and, and do things. And instead, what I saw, not just in my previous congregation, but kind of generally was more like a kind of a spoiled child who was insisting on my rights, my rights, my rights, without really taking into account my responsibilities, uh, which Anyone who's ever dealt with a teenager, you know how much they insist on rights and not responsibilities. <laughs> um, so that was disappointing, but not devastating. Um, I was also hit with an illness. I'll save you the the whole details, but basically was constant nerve pain, um, just constant pain 24-7, getting worse and worse with each day. I ended up uh, partially paralyzed on my left side for a while. Wow. Um, we got it diagnosed. I'm fine. Everything's okay. I can, I can lift my arm. I could not do this, um, you know, in, in the midst of it. Um, and yeah, divine hiddenness really came into play for me, uh, yeah. especially one night in particular, I was really broken, very humble. And just, I, I was like, I am as stripped as I can get here. God, I'm, I'm asking you to fulfill your promises, even just not even asking you to take the pain away, just some form of comfort. Um, I remember in my bed, just writhing in pain, 
uh, reading over and over uh, Psalm 130. Sorry about that. I had a phone ring. Um, But reading Psalm 130, the first couple verses of that, I have it pulled up here. um, Out of the depths, I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. Um, And just kind of repeating that and hanging on to that as as a bit of a mantra. Um, And yeah, just getting kind of nothing. Anyway, rough night. But... um, uh, divine hiddenness definitely came in. Um, and really, so, you know, all that, and I was just, I was just shaken and I was like, wow, like, you know, I heard about, um, John MacArthur and his whole, uh, open your churches video. That was big. Um, and the real catalyst though, was, uh, when everything about Robbie kind of came out that fall, um, I had heard about the story and I went online and I was like, eh, not, probably not going to find any, you know, CBS or, you know, NBC or so it's some reputable media, mainstream media talking about this is kind of a, a niche Christian issue, if you will. Um, so anyway, I went online and I saw a video of someone who was talking about it, it looked kind of newsy. I, I found out later it was Pine Creek. Um, if you are not familiar with Pine Creek, he is an atheist channel. Um, I agree with him very strongly on religion, but he is, uh, I find him pretty reprehensible. Otherwise I, I don't much like the guy. So, sorry, Doug, you know, I'm sure he won't take it personally if, if he ever sees this. I don't know if Doug um, will watch this. But, <laughs> Maybe now that you said that, he will. <laughs> oh God. Okay. Well, yeah. Uh, well, welcome to the, uh, to, to the public forum, if you will. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm here in the marketplace of ideas. Come at me, Pine Creek. Uh, let, let's do this. Um, <laughs> but anyway, the, the, the main thing that I saw was, you know, he was asking questions about Robbie and it took me a while to realize he was an atheist and this was an mm. atheist channel. Um, but he was right. And I was like, Hmm that kind of stings. And then the YouTube algorithm, uh, suggested an episode of the atheist experience. And I was like, uh, it's been a while since I've gone over atheist arguments. I kind of feel like I know them. So I watched Dillahunty, you know, answer a few calls and I was like, Oh man, he's right. You know, I watched him pick apart some arguments and was like, Oh, he's kind of, he, he is pointing out a fallacy and that, that is a fallacy there. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of went into that rabbit hole. I started learning, you know, actual science. I grew up like a six day young earth creationist. Um, and so I started learning, you know, the actual science and the evidence that has been put forward and not just propaganda and not just assertions. Uh, but I mean the evidence itself. Uh, and lastly, I got into biblical scholarship, um, with critical scholars. And by the way, when you hear critical scholars, just, um, hear critical thinking, um, you know, you approach it, uh, critically, you know, just apply critical thinking to, to anything and everything. Um, and so, yeah, that kind of, that definitely sort of led me out of atheism once I realized, oh, this is uh, the Epic of Gilgamesh wrote this. Oh, the Ugaritic flood myths. Like we have all these other parallels in other cultures and then learning about the, the parallels in the New Testament with like Zeus and Zalmoxis and uh, stuff like that. And I was like, oh, wow, this is, this was mythology. Um, and it was extremely painful. Um, but I realized, oh, no, oh, no. I'm an atheist. <laughs> that, that, that was kind of my, my realization. Um, so yeah, that, that's more or less my story here. Yeah. So it wasn't necessarily right. So what you're saying is like the, that it, it seemed like Christianity was something that you were trying to hold on to. 
Um, but as you kind of started your investigation, it was more of like, a, oh, no, I'm an atheist. Um, and it was painful to give up Christianity versus you were running away happily from Christianity, so to speak, if you can put it that way. Yeah, yeah. So I, uh, I, I was very much in the Calvinist tradition, uh, in case the the name I did didn't didn't convince you of that. Um, so yeah, I'd like to say I went into Christianity kicking and screaming. I came out of it kicking and screaming as well. Mm-hmm. I I follow the evidence where it goes, um, and it just it led me out of Christianity uh, from yeah. from everything I could find. Um, so yeah, that, that's that's why I'm looking to have conversations with theists because I, I uh, you know, I I want to. Keep a toe in and not just dismiss that. There's plenty of atheists who will dismiss all theists as completely irrational. And I'm like, no, no, no. I, I, I didn't, my IQ did not go up one bit when I left Christianity. Um, I just became aware of, you know, new information. Um, so yeah, I think that whole, oh, you know, Christians are dumb. I've, I've heard the term religious thrown around. And I'm like, Ooh, don't like that. Nope. Nope. Let's, let's not use that. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I, I want to have those conversations now. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, mentioning you came out of Calvinism, um, I'm sure, did you get kind of comments like, well, okay, Roman Goliath, you were never saved to begin with. It was just, you know, once saved, always saved. <laughs> now that you've walked away, that just is evidence you were never saved. End of story. Uh, did you kind of yep. receive that comment from anyone? And 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 uh, you're saying yes. So kind of what, what, what goes through your mind when, when a Christian says that to you? Like, well, you were just never saved to begin with. Um, yeah. No, I, in that case, um I would, and I did get that by the way. Yeah. I was a five point Calvinist all the way. So I got plenty of that. Um, <laughs> and yeah, but what I would say is um, like it, it, that is its own sort of fallacy. Like, um, you know, Oh, you know, all the, uh, you know, all X trees are blank. Um, it's like, well, I found an X tree. There's definitely an X tree, but it's not blank. And it's like, Oh, well, all real X trees are blank. It's, it's the no true Scotsman fallacy. I, I would recommend look it up. Um, but that whole thing, it's, it's completely unfalsifiable. So like, uh, it, it, I'll put it this way. If I wasn't saved, nobody was saved uh, because I was in this. Uh, I mean, I gave up a lot. I gave up a chance at uh, like a college education. Um, I was offered a scholarship, but I was convinced that God wanted me to go into ministry. Um, and so I turned that down. Like, if, yeah. uh, and, uh, you know, you hear from other atheists, like a uh, Holy Kool-Aid, uh, AKA Thomas Westbrook, um, you know, he grew up, you know, missionary kid. Um, and he'll tell you the same thing. Well, if I wasn't saved, nobody was saved because I was knee deep in this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, it's important to kind of hear, you know, I'm curious kind of what it, what it, what it sounds like, right? For someone that is being told to, right? Because for me, I'm coming from the perspective where they're not saying it to me, but like even when I posted that this video, right? I I titled, I think the uh, what did I title the the stream? But um, an atheist and Christian discuss deconversion and evidence for God, and I had someone comment say there is no true deconversion, right? It's just as evidence that they weren't saved to begin with, and it's like, look, I understand that's a theological conversation to be had, um, and that's something that Christians can discuss. And what does Scripture say? Can you lose your salvation or not. But when you're talking to someone who is saying, look, I was in the Christian circles. I was doing the Christian thing like you have described here. And now I'm not like that theological conversation, in my opinion, is secondary um, and is very dismissive of the experience that people have. Even if you continue to hold to once saved, always saved, it's like, okay, but you were doing the stuff and now you're not. So 
let's sit down and kind of figure out what happened versus just label you as something and thinking that we solved the problem, if that makes sense. Yeah, it, it, it's an inherent accusation of, of dishonesty. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's you saying, well, you were really thinking this. And it's like, if, if there is one thing that I can be absolutely certain of, you know, with all philosophical investigation, it's the contents of my own brain. Right. Um, so when you tell someone, oh, you never actually believe this. No, I'm informing you that I did. Um, so yeah, th- th- that's just not helpful to bring up. And yeah, even if you are a five point Calvinist, even if you do stick to, you know, perseverance of the saints, one saved, always saved. Uh, if you're having a conversation with an atheist, definitely don't inform them what they think. Uh, because I, I, I wouldn't like, yeah, yeah. I'm sure you wouldn't like it if I were like, oh, you know, there's no God. Yeah. 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 You know that there's no, you, you, you know it. And it's yeah. like, no, 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 I really do. No, nah, you know, like that would be a jerk yeah. thing to do. So just, just right. don't do that. Um, for, for your audience, by the way, there is a great uh, playlist by Prophet of Zod. It's called Dumb Things People Say to Atheists. Um, yeah, everything from uh, you just want to sin, which I did get, um, to, you know, uh, you, you were never really saved. Th- th- things like that. And so those are kind of helpful, common things uh, to, to watch out for. I, yeah. I recommend that playlist. Yeah, I think that's helpful. And, you know, and I always say this and sometimes I get uh, atheists get upset by me saying it this way. But, you know, I've I've had a student to my face say, if I became a Christian, I would have to stop doing the things that I want to do. Right. And so it's like, are there some people like this one student who does want to remain in his sin and doesn't want to follow Christ? Yes. But if we then take that and apply it to all atheists and say all atheists are walking away because they just want to sin. That's a hasty generalization. That's false. But to deny that that's not some people's story, I think is also false. Now, um, you know, as we said, this kind of an open conversation. So you said something that I'm, I'm curious about on the one saved, always safe thing, because um, I think there's a difference. And I'm curious what how you would respond to this is that there's a difference between this isn't something helpful to bring up. It's kind of a jerk move to bring up and say, well, you were never saved to begin with versus you also use the word uh, of it being dishonest. Um, and I'm curious kind of what you would say is, is this is if. Um, if that is what God has revealed in scripture, right? So if that is a true theology that God has revealed in scripture, that it is impossible, then what follows from it? So if that's true, if that theology is a true view, what then follows from someone like you uh, who was in the church and isn't? Like what, what, what logical conclusion is then true of the person that, well, their experience is, I was saved and now I'm not. If God, who is all knowing and tells the truth says that's not possible, then what logically follows and how should we address those experiences? Is it dishonest then to say, this is what is true of you? Well, your experience doesn't match that. Look, this is what God has said. Therefore, it's true. So it's not necessarily dishonest, but it maybe is not the right thing to say in that conversation. Does that make sense? Uh, Yeah, yeah. So there are two implications. Either I am indeed dishonest and I'm lying or the text isn't true. So I, I can understand where the Christian is like, no, it has us to be that you're being dishonest here. Could, but could if, be, if oh, you're in a conversation, go ahead, go ahead. Oh no, sorry. I, I, I there's a little bit of a delay. And so uh, you kind of paused. And so I jumped in and then I realized you weren't, <laughs> you weren't done. But I, the question is, so I don't think it's saying that you are either lying about what's going on or the text is wrong. Uh, the mm-hmm. question is, is it possible that our experience is off? That sometimes we're experiencing something to be true, um, but our experience is not true, that our feelings of what we thought was happening was not actually accurate. Um, I suppose that could be the case. Uh, depends on the on the mental state uh, of the person and you know the, the reasoning that they're using to come to conclusions. I, I can't say one or the other yes or no, because 
I, I think that's kind of a case by case basis. Uh, but definitely when you're talking to an atheist, um, like I said, don't tell someone what they're thinking. That's a really good way to shut down a conversation <laughs> is if like, I know you're saying this, but I know right. you're lying and that's okay. It's like, right. Mm. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I would agree with you there. It's not helpful to bring up. I think that's a secondary conversation to have. Uh, but I think it is interesting to kind of think through the, uh, the implications or what logically follows. If that is a true statement, uh, then what is true? Cause I think, you know, there might be times yeah. in my life where, you know, when I was in high school, I thought I was in love with a girl and I would have said I was in love with her. And then after I realized what true love is, I realized I wasn't really in love with like my my experience told me I was. But then I realized, oh, I actually was, you know, and so how often does my experience sometimes kind of trick me, not trick me where it's not either I'm lying to you or the Bible's wrong, but maybe my experience is mistaken. And I'm I'm just, you know, I think that's why it's kind of different. But I think in yeah, a culture, I have absolutely. a hard time where we call people liars and it's like, well, there's another barrier. Maybe they're just mistaken. <laughs> Maybe what they're saying they think is true and they're honestly mistaken. Just because someone says something false doesn't automatically mean they're lying. Cause I think lying comes wrong intent behind it. They, they know what they're saying is false and they're saying it anyways, yeah. but anyways. Yeah, I, I, I would concur. I, I think that that is a bar that you have to, that you have to clear to say like, no, they know what the truth is and yet they are saying the opposite. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't think that a single one of my Christian pastors that I ever had growing up um, or, you know, in my adulthood knowingly lied to me. Um, hmm. I don't think that any Christian, uh, you know, elder or spiritual leader that I had was dishonest in that way. Um, I, I think that there are some who are deceivers, like I, you know, the um, the existence of the clergy project uh, will kind of attest to that. Like, hey, I this is my paycheck. This is what I study. This is all I know. I've been here, you know, thirty. I cannot start over. I'm in leadership, but I don't believe this stuff anymore. Yeah. Like at that point, you're a deceiver. But yeah. I, I, I get the motivation. Don't, don't get me wrong. <laughs> um, but yeah, there, there are people who are honestly deceived, and you know, yeah. I have been honestly deceived in my time. You know, you, you talk to at any political conversation. Eventually, you will bump into someone who is well-meaning, but they're honestly deceived. Um, so yeah, there are deceivers and they're deceived, but you know, yeah, yeah, if you are, uh, this is going to sound harsh, but to me, there are two types of Christians, the ones who are deceivers and the ones who are deceived. Um, but yeah, I don't think that then I can attribute, okay, this is dishonesty because you're saying that, no, you may truly believe it. I just disagree with the facts of the, uh, the case. Yeah. Yeah. I honestly believe what I'm saying is true and I'm not, I'm not lying. I'm not being deceptive, but yeah. Obviously, and and you're right. Exactly. I don't, I don't yeah. find that offensive. As if if Christianity is not true, if atheism is true, and there is no God, then I am being deceived. I am being tricked. I I'm falling for a lie, and I believe a lie. And I think even the Bible points that out, right? In First Corinthians chapter fifteen, if the dead are not raised, then you are still yeah, in your sins. Your faith is in vain. Yeah. You're you are lying about God. You're misrepresenting God, and you know you you uh, you know you of all should be the most to be pitied. His First Corinthians fifteen says so. Uh, yeah, that is a true implication, yeah, yeah. and um, you know it goes both ways so we're not this relativistic understanding of like hey all ways are right and we're we just believe what you want it's like no if god exists you're wrong if god doesn't exist i'm wrong so that's why we're having this conversation trying to take this seriously because we yeah. want to be people that follow the truth um 
So with that, you you mentioned a few things, and I'll kind of let you kind of pick on where we want to go. But you you talked about uh, divine hiddenness. You talked about uh, scientific evidences against at least your uh, kind of view of young Earth creationism. You also talked about things that you heard Matt Dillahunty say on the atheist experience, and kind of uh, how these um, experiences, as well as arguments that you were exposed to, and also biblical scholarship, uh, kind of poked holes and and showed how the things that you were taught were false. And I'm kind of curious um, on how uh, what it was like for you as far as then, um, what did you do as far as looking into then what is the Christian response to some of these arguments? You know, did you look at the kind of the counterpoints to what Matt Dillahunty was saying? Did you look at the Christian response to divine hiddenness? Um, and, and if so, where did you kind of see maybe the, the response not being satisfactory? Um, and really that, that objection that they were raising or the objection that you read or experienced actually going through and kind of, uh, leading to the fact that Christianity is not true. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, with, uh, with Dillahunty specifically, I, I, I like his approach because basically he will, you know, sit there and say, tell me what you believe and why. Um, people tell him what they believe and he starts asking why. And he says, okay, well, here's, here's the fault in your reasoning. Like, here's the, um, you know, here's your problem, as uh, every mechanic likes to say. Um, and I, I did like that uh, with Dillahunty. But uh, as far as, you know, looking at, at the Christian, I, I definitely did my due diligence here. I have watched at this point thousands of hours of debate, uh, of presentations, you know, you, you name it, William Lane Craig, Ben McClatchy, um, you know, Mike Winger. Um, you know, I, I, I have gone into the, into the Christian arguments and uh, so something that someone said once that, that I really enjoyed was if you, um, how, how do they phrase this? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, I'm blanking here, but You're good. bottom line. Yeah. Yeah. I did go over the, the Christian arguments and, uh, oh yeah, it's uh, just because there is an answer doesn't mean it's a good answer. Right. Um, you know, and, and sometimes I have seen Christians just flail of like, oh, well, you know, God uh, hides himself so that uh, he can judge people all the better. And it's like, well, that's an answer, but I don't know that that's a good answer, that that's in keeping with a, the character of God. Like, yeah, you need to give me more than that. I, it's right. it's an answer, but I don't find it convincing. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I have looked into it, like specifically on the on the problem of, of divine hiddenness. Um, it was that whole that to, Usually what I hear on that is, well, you know, God has his reasons for staying hidden. And uh, I was like, wait, God desires that all men should be saved. I was, you know, on my bed, Bible open, asking God for hours um, in pain, uh, just saying, God, I need you. Please help me reveal something of yourself to me. And I don't mean, you know, uh, an, an apparition of Jesus that I can visually see or, or a voice uh, that I can hear. Just something, just something to indicate that you're here, you're with me, something, even if it's a passage from the word that really speaks to me um, and just nothing. Yeah. And so having experienced it firsthand, that's definitely something. Also having grown up, uh, uh, my family is of Mexican descent. I spent a lot of time in Mexico as a kid. I've traveled extensively. The reason I do a roaming Goliath was because when I started getting into content uh, was because I was literally a nomad going from Airbnb to Airbnb. I was in Portugal. I was in Estonia. I was in Spain. You know, you, you name it, I've probably been there. And 
you start to see how people live and how people are very open to God. They desire God. They're looking for God. And yet, he's not there or the version of him that's there does not match at all with, with biblical Christianity. Yeah. Um, so I think given the billions of people on earth seeking God and his not showing up, uh, you know, not providing something concrete that we can say, hang on to and be like, Oh yep, that we tested it. We put it in the lab. It's definitely God. Yep. Um, that to me definitely speaks to a God who either doesn't want to be found or doesn't exists. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So the question did come in for you and it kind of relates to what you just said right there is, is then what do you do with the billions Fire of people? Away. What do you do with the billions of people who have sought after God and have experienced him and encountered him in a powerful way that's not explained through naturalistic uh, encounters? So yeah, you can find people who haven't encountered God, but then you can find billions yeah. of people that have miracle stories, have encounters that say, look, God is real because of these things. So what do you do with those billion? That, that's you know, Christianity is the largest religion in the world. Is that, you know, 1.2 or whatever it is up to now, billion people that all have false encounters? Uh, well, it depends. I mean, uh, you ask the Christians. I, I'm sure that uh, plenty of evangelicals will be like, oh, yeah, the miracle of Fatima and the sun at that Catholic um, outpost. I, I think it was in Spain. Um, but anyway, if, if you look at miracle of the sun, it's there. And I'm like, I don't, I don't buy that. And I don't, I know a lot of evangelicals who would be like, yeah, the Virgin Mary doesn't appear if you stare at the sun. A lot of things appear if you stare at the sun. And if you're thinking about the Virgin Mary, I guess. Um, right. But yeah, I, I would say the problem is that every religion can make that claim. There are plenty of people For who sure. say, I have encountered the risen Vishnu. Um, I don't know if Vishnu is a dying and rising God, but, um, <laughs> you know, and, and they are just as sincere and their reasons are just as cogent as what I hear from Christian miracle claims. So that's so why what, I, yeah. I'm skeptical of that. So what about, I mean, cause it, it is easy to, to, uh, and this is where kind of in your Dilahani comments a little bit ago is, is I've listened to the athe experience quite a bit. Um, and I'll just say, I am, I'm very underwhelmed by the, the Christians that call into that show. Uh, their arguments are fallacious. <laughs> their arguments are really bad. And Dilahani can easily pick them apart. But I've also heard, for example, there's yeah. a time where Jonathan McClatchy called into the atheist experience. And when he was giving solid arguments that they could not pick apart or find fallacious, they began to chide him and criticize him saying, well, if you're, you know, as published and a scholar like you are, why are you calling us? you should be publishing articles. You should be de debating people. And he's like, well, I do, but I'm also calling you. And so they were not able to, to pick apart the things that do have that yeah. evidential basis. So yeah, there are, there are Christians out there sharing ridiculous miracle stories that are untestable, but what do we do with the miracle stories that have been tested, that have uh, eyewitness kind of testimony that have scientific backing? I know Craig Keener's done a ton of work on this. There's just a show that was on Unbelievable uh, with another person. I forget what ministry he was from, but it's from an, uh, uh, a, a ministry that has published like some 300 medically reviewed, peer reviewed medical journal articles on supernatural healings of people that should not have happened. And so this is scientifically tested, verified by doctors, data to support, not just I saw something and just kind of trust me. So what do you what do you kind of do with those stories that really do uh, have that evidential backing is not these kind of simple fallacious arguments that we can kind of brush off? Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I know the clip you're talking about. Um, McClatchy called in, although it should be noted, I would love to see a debate between him and Dillahunty um, head to head. I, I don't know that they've ever done one. They may have. I may have missed it. Uh, I, I know Dillahunty. 
I know Dale Hunty debated, was it inspiring philosophy? I know it was at least one. Um, and yeah, did he yeah. debate Mike Lacona as well? I forget. Anyways, but yeah. He, he definitely did, yeah. But yeah, I, I remember that clip. And yeah, the, the two hosts who were who were there, you know, all due respect to them. I'm sure they're fine people. But they did have a bit of a deer in the headlights look of like, oh, this guy knows his stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I, I would say, okay, well, let's, let's tone in and let's examine one of these miracle claims. And I, I would also caution because I see a lot of uh, Christians immediately go for God of the gaps. Ha, science can't explain this. So it must be God, like right. therefore God. Um, and that I think it, a lot of theistic arguments boil down to that is, well, you can't say you do know. So the default is therefore God, therefore magic, therefore, um, you know, th- th- therefore I win. Like if, yeah. if that's the default position, uh, then I don't know for me is a perfectly acceptable answer when I don't actually know. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to take a look in, in, into some of these. If you can send me a link, uh, I, every miracle claim that I have looked into so far, uh, either boils down to, we're not sure why this happened. Um, or it, didn't happen or maybe it happened, but the sourcing is completely just wacky. You know, it's, Oh, this happened, um, you know, to a friend of mine whose sister went to this one church and yeah. her ex deacon <laughs> told her about this. And it's like, this is like fifth or sixth hand information here. Like. Right. Yeah. You know, and I, and I agree with you there and I can't remember the name of the ministry or the individual. I'll have to find that and send that your way. But it was uh, recently on unbelievable podcast with uh, Justin Brierly, Uh And it was actually a Christian pushing back against, um, uh, this other Christian claim. So it was a Christian skeptical of these miracles. And so they were kind of debating it. And this one person was from some organization that, that peer reviewed these things. So now would you, um, now I've, I've been asking a lot of questions. I said, I would give you a chance to ask questions too, but I'm yeah. just, I'm, I'm curious. So <laughs> feel free to cut me off and jump in here. Uh, but you mentioned a lot of the Christian arguments are God of the gaps. Is that where you would put arguments like, uh, the cosmological argument, the design argument, the moral argument, is this, uh, we don't understand what's going on in the world. Therefore God created, or therefore God designed. Um, or do you have kind of a different reason for why you think kind of the, the more common traditional arguments for God's existence um, don't convince you of a God? Yeah. So I, uh, I know it was a slip of the tongue, but I do like that you called it the cosmological argument. I, I think that rolls so much better. It, it sounds good. Um, but yeah, the, the Kalam definitely doesn't surprise me I, uh, like it, or impress me. It doesn't convince me. Um, I think even if I grant all the premises as far as I can get with just about any, uh, you know, classical argument is to a God of deism, uh, right. you know, just a God who exists. I don't know that I can get then to Christianity. Like, um, you know, even if a deistic God exists, the, sheer number of religions and the sheer number of denominations, heck, even within just Christianity. Um, I think that speaks to a God who doesn't want to be found uh, if one exists at all. Um, but I do tend to take the methodological naturalist approach. And again, not a strict naturalist, methodological naturalist approach. Um, just to say, hey, I all I have to available to me to investigate is the natural world and the natural processes. Um, and so why would I speculate about there being a supernatural instance that has never been demonstrated 
uh, you know, to, to, to fill that in. Uh, you mentioned what well, one that I do like is uh, you had mentioned the argument from consciousness. Um, that one, I think, does speak to me. But even then, from a naturalistic point of view, like, how are we defining consciousness? Uh, well, uh, I'll, I'll ask you, how, how would we define consciousness? Yeah, I think uh, in a basic sense, I think you could say our consciousness is our introspection and our awareness of uh, our own thinking and the world around us. Um, I guess it'd be a basic way in which I would look at it. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that you know, that could be a whole doctoral thesis. Define consciousness, <laughs> if you please. Uh, so Most people say if you define it, you don't know what it is. There. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I would agree. It's it's basically just an awareness of the world around oneself and oneself. Um, and, you know, when I look at the animal kingdom, I see sort of gradations of that. There are animals that seem to be more aware of themselves than others. You know, uh, crows, for instance, amazingly intelligent animals, uh, you know, dolphins, apes, of course. Uh, you know, so I, I see sort of gradations of consciousness. And where we draw the line, okay, uh, you know, everything south of this line uh, is not conscious. Everything north of this line is conscious. I think it's it's much more of a gradient uh, rather than just an on-off switch. Uh, you know, as a kid, when you're a kid, you're not, I, I don't know that you're necessarily conscious of yourself and that you're in a world. You're just like, ooh, shiny colors. Is that really consciousness? Right. Um, and so- that definitely accords with evolution. And I, I would recommend the work of Mark Psalms here. He wrote a fantastic book called The Hidden Spring, uh, where he talks about the brain mechanisms that produce this, this thing that we call consciousness, this awareness of the system itself. So kind of based on that, right? Because we did talk about in the conversation before we uh, went live on, on kind of focusing on in this one. Uh, now, really quickly, if I can just go back yeah. quickly to the Kalam, uh, I think to try to say the Kalam doesn't work because it doesn't lead you to Christian theism, uh, it goes outside the bounds of what that argument is designed for, right? It, it is to point to a True. cause of the universe. And so if the premises, as you mentioned, do follow, you at least get some sort of God like deism or something that could be consistent with Christianity or other religions, but that would be evidence against atheism. Uh, and that would be evidence that there is at yeah. least a God out there. And then there is the follow-up question of what is the Christian God? And so that is part of, right. The, the kind of traditional apologetic or, you know, that just kind of is arguing for the basic God. And then that's just one step though, in the case, just like if you had a fingerprint at a crime scene, that's not proof that the victim is guilty, but also that one fingerprint doesn't prove the whole case, right? You have this cumulative approach where different pieces of evidence lead you to the guilt of this of the suspect, whereas each one individually doesn't lead to that suspect, but it's all part of this cumulative case. And so if the Kalam goes through, um, then at least there is a God and then there's other piece of evidence that get you to the Christian God. So I think, I don't know if you were necessarily doing this, but to say, well, because it doesn't get you to the God of Christianity, therefore it's not really a great argument. It's like, well, that's, that's not really how it kind of fits into this picture. So I don't know if you want to comment on that um, or kind of jump back to that consciousness, but I did want to kind of throw that in there as a, uh, is something I noticed. Yeah. And uh, sorry for the, um, for the phone calls there. Let me You're just good. turn my phone all the way off. Um, Cause yeah, I definitely don't want to get a copyright strike over my ringtone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um but yeah, I, I, I think that uh, the yeah, you're absolutely right, by the way. Uh, the Kalam does not get us to uh, the Christian God, and it was not designed to. Um, but yeah, and I, I agree with that cumulative case, but it, 
that seems to me like kind of a scattershot approach, like, oh, this part of this argument kind of sticks, even though the argument as a whole falls apart. Um, I, I just, I don't see that that's enough for a conviction. Well, we have his fingerprint on the doorknob that night uh, when, you know, the, the, the person showed up dead. Um, well, yeah, but he did live there and he did admit to having gone there, you know, uh, multiple times. So I, I, I think that even the existence of, uh, of apologists, no offense here, kind of speaks to a God that does not want to be found if a God at all. Um, I, I think a God would really make it clear and obvious. Okay. This is the right way and you can reject it. You can accept it, but here is that this is provable. Um, so that that's kind of where I, I really do struggle. Do you think, yeah, and that makes sense. And, and I guess we're, we're, I, I'm, I'm wanting to get back to consciousness, but I'm following this track. I think it's interesting <laughs> um, because here's the yeah, question yeah. is I think, man, they're just, there are things in our culture that I think me and you would agree are, are so obvious Yet there are still some people that don't accept it, right? You can you can talk about you know something as far as flat Earth, or you can talk about the moon landing, you can talk about the assassination of Abraham Lincoln, or even nine eleven, right? There, 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 you can find conspiracy theorists for pretty much everything, and so the question yeah. I think that I come back to is is having an apologist or someone having to argue for the truth of something. I don't think discredits the fact that that thing is a real thing that happened. It just shows that we as people often don't follow the evidence and there's often other things that guide us because if we truly were just simply evidential beings yeah. following the evidence, then there's a lot of stuff that should not be believed in this world that is believed. But the fact that people follow these other theories that are clearly against the evidence seem to show that we're not just evidential beings. We're emotional beings. We are thoughtful, you know, in other ways. And so, you know, just because you have a lawyer arguing that someone is guilty does not by default means, well, if he really was guilty, you wouldn't need a lawyer. Uh, no, we need, sometimes need someone to put together the evidence for us to present that. But in no way yeah. to have a lawyer arguing for the guilt of someone by any means shows that, well, if he was truly guilty, he wouldn't need a lawyer. And it seems like you're kind of saying that if God really did exist, then you wouldn't need apologists. So the fact that there's an apologist kind of creates a problem. And I don't think that would create a problem for the criminal, the fact that a lawyer is arguing that he's guilty. Yeah, yeah. And, and I did not mean that in that side, because really, I'm an apologist for atheism on, on this side of things here. Um <laughs> But uh, yeah, the, it is a little different when it is an omnipotent God who has access to our minds, who can plant thoughts, who can speak to us directly, uh, who can reveal himself, you know, like he did with Abraham or with Moses in the Old Testament. Um, I, I, I think at that point, there is a, a bit of a distinction as opposed to, uh, you know, people yeah, like the, the, the big lie or anti-vax conspiracy stuff, you know. Um, that is, it's external and there's nothing as much as, you know, uh, Dr. Fauci would like to be like, I, I can explain all of virology to you. I'm sure if he could do like a, like a live stream into someone's brain and, you know, convince them, here's the science behind why we're thinking this. Um, that's something that God does have the ability to do that does not apply to any other claim or conspiracy or anything else really that we can examine. Um, but yeah, and I'm the I'm the lawyer on the other side. I argue God is not guilty of of existing. So yeah, I, I didn't mean to to you know just throw apologists under the bus. But it it is a data point 
uh, to be like, oh, God can reveal himself, but yet he needs to, you know, have people, lawyers, pastors, parents, um, you know, promoting him and explaining him when he could very, very easily do that himself if he wanted to. Absolutely. So I think that leads to an interesting question is then that what is God's goal? Right. It, it, it seems like it's like, well, it's God's goal to convince everyone that he is real um, and that the easiest way to do that is to show up in the sky. Um, and, and then that becomes the question of, is that really God's goal? Is his goal just to have everyone say, OK, fine, God, you're out there, you exist? Um, or does he have kind of a different goal in mind and is part of his goal is that he wants to use people in his mission? Um, and so then the question is, has he given us enough uh, has he revealed himself to enough? Because, you know, one common thing that I think of when, when I think of divine hiddenness is, you know, right. If Christianity is true, right. Jesus, who is God in flesh, came down, did miracles right in front of people. And then rather than they believed, rather than believing, they killed him. Uh, and we have examples and stories in scripture where Jesus raised Lazarus from the death and the people, rather than admitting I'm wrong, because even you said, you know, sometimes pastors, you get in that position, you just don't want to admit you're wrong. Rather than admitting, oh my goodness, we're wrong. There is a resurrection. They tried to figure out how to do away with the evidence. And so, you know, I think, look, if Jesus himself came down, God in human form, stood in front of people, did miracles, and instead of believing they killed him, why do I think that we would be any different where somehow God could do something to just convince us all that he's real and then is that really even his goal or has he given us enough? The way I would put it is this. I think that God has revealed himself enough. He hasn't remained completely hidden. He's come down in human flesh. He's given us his word, the Bible, that kind of stuff. And I think miracles still do happen. And we talked about that a moment ago. God has given us enough so that those who want to believe will have their belief justified. So there is a justification for it. It's not a blind belief that you close your eyes and just hope. But he has not given so much evidence so that those who don't want to believe have to feign loyalty. Um, and that's kind of how I would put the hiddenness of God in, in that perspective. And so I, I, maybe I presented too much here and there's not really a question there, but I'm just kind of curious as um, like considering what is God's purpose? Is his, is his goal like, I just want to get everyone to believe? Or is it, I want to give people enough so that those who truly want to come have their beliefs justified? Yeah, um, I. It, th th this is... This is something that I had to get out of uh, because I heard some confirmation bias there that those who want to believe can justify it. Um, and that's the thing. I don't want to believe anything. I'm, I'm what's called a doxastic involuntarist, which is a very fancy college educated way of saying, I don't think you get to choose what you believe, right. um, you know, and. I, I, you know, you show me evidence and if I find it convincing, I find it convincing. Um, but if I say I really want to believe that I'm a billionaire, so I'm going to start writing checks. Reality is going to catch up with me very, very quickly <laughs> uh, at that point. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think wanting to believe is uh that, that that's starting from a from a bad place. It's like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. want to believe. Hang on. Let, let's stop right there, because I only want to believe things that are evidently true. You know, D Dillahunty likes to say, uh, I want to believe as many true things and as few false things as possible. Right. And I, I, I very much 
get where he's coming from in that. Uh, so I think starting out with that whole, I want to believe part that sets us off on a bad track. Um, but this is where, you know, textual criticism comes in and it's like, okay, well, let's, let's review this evidence. And you get into the gospels and you start to see the, if you read them side by side, as opposed to one after the other, um, you start to see those contradictions come out. You know, the, the, the work of Bart Ehrman kind of turned me onto this uh, surprise, surprise atheist likes Bart Ehrman. I know alert the media. Um, but, uh, I, I, I was not impressed with his assertions. Um, and I, I have learned this the hard way. Don't just take an assertion and be like, all right, I'm going to take that and run. Aaron Ross said blank. So now I'm going to go and, you know, yell at every Christian I find that, oh, blankety blank. Cause Aaron Ross said, it. um, no, look into the evidence and, uh, discover it yourself. And so, yeah, when I read those passages, I was like, oh yeah, I don't, I don't see a way to reconcile that. Like either they fled to Egypt or they stayed in Jerusalem and then went off to Galilee. Like I, I don't see where both A and B can somehow be harmonized can somehow be true here. Um, and this is where, you know, if, if God did want to come and say, okay, I'm going to provide enough evidence here for belief. Um, it, he, he definitely came to the wrong place in time because there were a lot of apocalypticist preachers. There were a lot of sects. Uh, there were a lot of other mystery religions that were making very similar claims at the time to what Jesus, um, you know, the, the person of Jesus, I, I'm agnostic yeah. on the mythicist historicist question, by the way. So, um, you know, I, I'm not even fully convinced that a single guy named Jesus, exa- well, you know, saying a guy named Jesus was an apocalypticist preacher in Palestine, that, that's kind of like saying there's a Baptist preacher somewhere in Texas named David who drives a pickup. <laughs> it's like, sure. yeah, that's, yeah, that's that's likely, sure. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's that particular Pastor Dave, but uh, uh, yeah, um, I, I, I don't buy that claim. So yeah. that, that's, that, that's the issue is that the evidence that we do have is in a form that is not ideal here. No, I understand that. And, and I'm curious, you know, maybe we have to have a part two or something uh, because uh, I think there's a, in my mind, at least there's a pretty simple solution to the the claim of where did Jesus go, Jerusalem or, or Egypt. But, um, but we'll have to come back to that and I'll kind of let you uh, have that um, or at least uh, present that. And I'll leave it there. But um, where, where I bring in the want is this, is that, is that I don't think that belief in God is, is neutral in the sense that it's like, we'll just believe that the Twin Towers were attacked on December 7, September 11, 2001, or that uh, Pearl Harbor was bombed on December 7, 1941. It, it, it's, uh, the, the claims of Christianity involve uh, a change that needs to happen on our side. And so I don't th- see it the, sim- the same as just believing some sort of fact about the world. But if Christianity is true, it actually calls me to bow my knee. It calls me to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. And it calls me to actually change the way that I'm living. And so that is where now it begins to affect our desires and our wants in ways that simply a historical fact, I think, doesn't affect those desires and wants. And so I think that's where, not yeah. for everyone, but there is that want that some people have and don't have of like, dude, I don't want this to be true. And there's atheists that admitted that. I don't want it to be true um, because it affects me. And, and so where I come from this idea of a want is like, look, if I'm willing to um, follow God and, I, and I'm willing to do that, then there's evidence there to justify it. But not so much that I have to say, fine, God, you're real. I, I, I admit it, um, even though I don't want to. And I, I don't want to say he's real, but it's so obvious in my face, I have to. Um, and so I think that one is just a little bit different because it's, I think, a, a different claim on us than a historical fact. Now, if I can, though, we got nine minutes left and we talked before about really 
addressing consciousness and that's what came up. So unless there's something kind of pressing in the last few minutes that you wanted to talk through, uh, I'd love to kind of get back to that. Is there something else that you want to kind of finish our time with though? Uh, no, no, no. Let's, okay. let's dive on in. Hit, hit me with, uh, with consciousness. Okay. So you, you mentioned uh, this argument from consciousness. I'm curious from your perspective and even the question came in at the, at the very beginning, right? How do you explain the world as an atheist? Uh, how do you explain? So you, you, you talked about consciousness kind of coming from evolution. Do you think it's uh, in, an immaterial thing? Do you think that we have minds that are not physical um, are you a strict materialist that, that the, the human is just simply a physical being with a physical brain um, and consciousness is physical? Or do you think that there's possibility kind of an immaterial, non-physical reality of us like a mind? Yeah. So I hold to the maximum that, that the mind is what the brain does. It is physical. It doesn't feel physical. Like when I'm in love, I know I'm in love. I know that I, um, that I want this person in my life and I picture of, you know, having kids and a whole future and everything thing. Um, and if we do a brain scan, oh, you're, you're loaded down with oxytocin. Th th this is a chemical reaction. Um, you know, same if you're on psychedelics or mushrooms, uh, you know, you can talk with, uh, or you can examine like the case of Phineas Gage, um, who every psych 101 student knows Phineas Gage. He was a railroad worker. An explosion happened. Bottom line, the guy ended up with a railroad spike through his brain. They took it out. He survived. But he was like a completely different person. Um, I once dated a woman who uh, had previously dated a man who had a piece of his brain removed. And as such, his moral reasoning was completely just, he, he was a sociopath uh, because his brain had been altered. So when you alter the brain, then you alter the personality, you alter the mind. That is where I sit on that. I, I think that it is physical. It is chemical. We don't fully understand it yet, but it's pretty much the most complex thing that we can understand. So I, it doesn't surprise me that we don't have all the answers yet, seeing as how we are just kind of coming into the scientific realm where we can investigate, where we can take brain scans and uh, do chemical analyses and stuff. We didn't have those tools before, but each time we do, we learn a little bit more. And that, that, that God of the gaps, that, that gap for God to hide in gets smaller and smaller and smaller. So, yeah. So there, I think what you're pointing out and, and is that there is a, a strong connection between the mind and the brain uh, that they seem to be working kind of together in that sense. But if the mind is purely the brain and and it's just this one single substance um kind of how do you understand when it comes to things like the fact that uh, there are there does there does seem to be um qualities that are different with mental states than there are with brain brain states so if you do a the the identity relationship uh if a does not equal b then you can say a and b are not the same thing and so they're they're well connected uh well kind of interwoven in some sense where you affect the brain and it affects how you think there does seem to be some factors that don't seem to match up where it does seem that the mind is different than the brain in that identity relationship. I don't know if you need examples yeah, or something, could, could, that, but yeah. Maybe, yeah, I, 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 was, I was about to say, could you maybe give an example uh, so, so I can follow you here? Yeah. So for, so for one is like uh, the, the brain is measurable. Uh, you can weigh it. You can cut someone's head open. You can look inside the brain. Uh, the mind is not measurable. Um, uh, there, there's no weight to your thought. Uh, how much did the thought of your mom weigh? Uh, there's no weight to that thought. Um, and so there, there's this idea of measurable versus measureless. Um, but also 
Uh, thoughts are first person private. Um, brain scans can show you the brain activity that happens in your brain, uh, but no brain scan can tell you what that thought is. You have to ask the person, what were you thinking uh, in order to know the thought? And so there's a first person private versus a second person or third person kind of public kind of aspect. Um, and so um, this idea of, of our gotcha. thoughts have this immaterial reality to them that, that, well, connected are not um, identical to brain states. Uh, and that's where I think, as you mentioned, there is a chemical reaction that happens in your brain when you love, but I don't think that the, 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 the statement, I love you, I don't think is merely chemical or cannot be reduced to chemicals, because if that's true, then the question comes, then do you hold to something like determinism? Do you think that humans have free will or are we determined by the chemicals in our brain? Uh, is every thought that we have, every feeling that we have, every action that we choose simply a chemical reaction happening in the brain that is outside of our control and something that we did not program or plan, something that was programmed into us through evolution? So um, yeah, kind of the, the differences of measurable, first person, private. Um, but then also I think then the the the... The conclusion flowing from that is maybe if you hold to determinism and are kind of like a Sam Harris in that sense. Um, God, I hate I, I hate the sentence I'm about to say, but I do kind of agree with Sam Harris here. Um, he is well, uh, the, leaving Sam Harris aside, uh, I think determinism does make sense to me uh, because if we can, and Sean Carroll talks about this in, in some of his work, you know, if, if we had a, you know, supercomputer that could, you know, measure every molecule, every atom and how it's going and sort of its trajectory along, uh, along things, we can predict what will happen next. The problem is that the supercomputer that would be able to model that would probably be about the size of the universe itself. So it's kind of self-defeating. I, uh, you know, I like to joke, of course I'm a determinist. I have no choice, uh, but to be a determinist. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that people do give themselves more credit than they should in many ways. The brain is an amazing thing and it really does, you know, trick us into doing, if you have ever encountered someone who believes in QAnon, wow, just no, no amount of evidence, no amount of rational, logical thinking is going to break them from that. Um, you know, every now and then you can get one little thing here and that starts a seed of doubt. But, um, but yeah, I, 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 I am a determinist in that sense of, oh no, this person, what affected them? What were they exposed to? What mind state were they in when they started hearing this stuff? And why did it take hold? I don't know that I would hold that person, you know, morally responsible for believing what they believe. Um, and so, yeah, I, I do lean on the side of, of determinism, um, which is funny that I want to have conversations and try and talk to people and convince people and understand, but I, I, I'm also a compatibilist. So I don't think that uh, free will and determinism are necessarily in conflict. I think that we don't have access to the future. And from what we can tell when we do things, other things happen as a result. So um, I, I am, I fall more into that compatibilist camp that goes down a whole hairy philosophical rabbit hole, right. but, um, yeah, to, to answer your question, I do lean determinist. Okay. Yeah. So that's where I think it's hard. And my goodness, uh, of course this hour goes by quick. We're at 59 minutes right now. So, um, oh, wow. 
Uh, yeah, right. So maybe, uh, you know, this is where it's been fun. Hopefully it's been interesting for those listening. Um, but, you know, as we talked about a little bit briefly ahead of time and what we are planning to talk about and didn't really get there and that's okay, is that I think, uh, you know, my conclusion is is that determinism, I don't see how compatibilism within an atheistic kind of framework is possible. Um, and kind of that Sam Harris um, mindset of kind of this, you know, free will, you don't have free will. Uh, everything is, 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 uh, chemical reactions in the brain and from a brain and from um, situations in life that you didn't choose. It's completely outside of your control. And so, you know, the question that often comes up in my mind is, is kind of like a, a John Lennox asked. It's like, so if our brain controls everything we think, do and say, um, and our brain has been given to us by this unguided, mindless process of evolution and is being programmed kind of outside of our control by our situations in our environment, why do we trust it? Why do we trust that it's giving us accurate results? Yeah. And uh, first of all, shout out to John Lennox for having the best accent in all of apologetics. <laughs> so um, well done, Dr. Lennox. Um, yeah. I, I, and th this is where I, I think he sort of smuggles that in that mindless process. Um, evolution is a very non-random selection of random mutations. So just because the mutations are random does not mean the selection process is random. Um, this is where you get into, you know, evolutionary thinking. And if you're a, a, a believer or an atheist, if you're just a human, read the selfish gene, because that will really kind of change the way you look at the world. Um, it is by Richard Dawkins. Fair warning. I do not like Dawkins. He, <laughs> he, I, I, I don't seem to like any atheist. I know. Um, <laughs> but uh, Dawkins and Harris, uh, not the biggest fan. Um, but present day Dawkins aside, he did have a great book in The Selfish Gene. And it kind of goes into how things um, do sort of whittle away by natural selection and they survive. And the ones that do survive adapt. Uh, and so the fact that the brain has adapted to this world through non-random selection of its random mutations, um, I, I think speaks to a lot, but also just the fact that we can then take instruments that are outside of our brain and also, you know, reason with each other to be like, well, I think this guy is made of cotton candy. Really? I, I think we have machines that can tell us whether or not that's true. Um, or, you know, even just talking with another person, you're like, yeah, that, that doesn't make sense. So we, we have these external markers to check it. I don't fully trust my brain. My brain has deceived me in the past. I know that. So that's why I do look outside my brain. I want to have those discussions with other people to be like, hey, am I, am I crazy here or is this right? And I want to look at data. I want to look at evidence. I want to look at measurements. I want to understand the world around us um, and use my brain as best I can to make sense of those external things. But if I if I know that, okay, all the experts that I know and trust and I, I look at their reasoning and I can't quite follow it, I'm like, I mean, unless it's something really important, I'm okay with kind of deferring to that expertise, uh, but it, it's on a case-by-case -case basis. So, Professor Lennox, great guy, great accent. Uh, I like him, <laughs> but to, to, to say that the, the you know the, it's just oh a completely mindless unguided process it's no it is guided by the environment that we uh, 
uh, that we inhabit. Fair enough. I will give you the final word on that and say thank you so much for having this conversation. This has been good. And so maybe uh, we'll see if, if those listening, there's so much more I want to ask. I didn't give you, I think, uh, an opportunity to really ask a lot of questions. So maybe if you want to have another conversation or if those listening say, hey, we want to hear more, um, I, I, uh, I'm open to that if that's something that we want to plan in the future. But hey, for now, I appreciate you coming on the show, Roman Goliath. Thank you so much for taking this time and sharing your story and answering some of my questions and having this conversation with me. I, I, I think that we did it well. I think that we were nice to each other. <laughs> and uh, and I think achieving the goal of, of two of us coming together and trying to think through these big, big issues and really, I think, uh, helping people realize there's a lot more issues that need to be thought through uh, that we could talk about. So anyways, thank you so much for taking this time, having this conversation with me today. Yeah, thank you. Uh, you guys can find me at uh, A Roaming Goliath here. Uh, I'm on TikTok and Twitter primarily. I promise I'm not as scary as I seem on Twitter. I just <laughs> I get annoyed when I hear very dumb things said in a very bad way. Um, so you know, c- come find me. Always happy to have conversations. I would love to do this again sometime. If somebody else would like to have me on their channel or something like that, uh, again, I'm I'm stepping into the the public four here and uh, hoping to have more conversations like this. So yeah, thanks Ryan. And uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure. Perfect. Wonderful. That was my next thing on where people can find you. So hey, check him out, follow his stuff. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. And so for everybody else, thanks for joining us today. Again, I hope this conversation helped you as the goal of this channel is to help you think well and engage the culture well. And part of that is engaging with people that have different ideas than you. And how do we do that? Well, how do we challenge? How do we push back? But how do we be respectful in that? And hopefully this conversation modeled that for you today. Uh, as we move forward in the future, there are some plans for shows. And I always say that things are crazy busy right now. I'm in the middle of my doctoral program. This is the crazy time of lots of reading and lots of research. And so my hope is to start sharing some of the things that I'm reading and start working through some of the books that are on that reading list. So if you want to follow more on the ministry, you can follow me at Ryan Polly 3 on social media where I'm posting more of what I'm reading on a day-to-day basis. Check out other videos here to help you continue to think well on a wide range of other issues. And then subscribe, like it, share it if this was helpful, and watch out for that next video that's coming at some point in the future to help you to continue to think well about faith, culture, Christianity, and Jesus because they are worth thinking about. Thanks for joining me today, everybody. Have a blessed rest of your day. A good rest of your week. See you later. Bye. I just ask you to leave. Won't hesitate to follow your love.